Welcome back to Musically Inclined. My name is Jesse Kaiser, joined by Ryan Hernandez. No Colby, unfortunately, today. He had something come up at the very last second, uh, had something pressing come up with one of his graduate projects. So unfortunately, not much we can do about that. But, um, you know, we're just going to let him do what he needs to do. But today we have a very special guest on the show. We've got uh, the music director of the South Carolina Philharmonic, uh, director of orchestral studies at UMass Amherst, uh, resident conductor at Spokane Symphony, and a dear friend of mine, Maestro Morihiko Nakahara. Morihiko, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so... Great to see you guys. Yeah. So I kind of just wanted to, like, just start kind of with your general kind of, like, question about, you know, one thing I've, I've never really talked to you about, and what, something I've always wanted to ask you is, like, you know, being born in Japan and then coming to the United States and and being a conductor pretty much, I would say, ex- exclusively in the States. Is that safe to say? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to, as like how what was your kind of upbringing like and, and what kind of led you here to being a conductor in the States? Yeah, uh, let's see. I mean, you know. So, yeah, I grew up in pretty much like a rural part of Japan. It's like, you know, southwestern Japan, uh, pretty far from Tokyo. Um, when it comes to music, I'm not sure, like, I, I don't have a recollection of, like, when, when or how I, I, I like, I learned how to read music, in a way, mm-hmm. you know, because I must have done that early on. Um, I guess I must have done it, and that must have happened at home. So I think, you know, either my mother or you know, I, I grew up with my mom and her parents. So either one of my grandparents or my mom must have taught me that when I was very little. And, you know, we had like a like a little, you know, this is like rural Japanese home. So there's, you know, you know, you know, those houses are tiny. Right. So, you know, there there's never enough room for like piano. But we had like a little keyboard, like electronic keyboard, you know at home so i always remember like i my first recollection is i remember i was playing on it but like i never took lessons but like i just knew like you know i had like some books and i was playing some stuff for fun and you know and i'm I'm, of course i guess i i knew then by then like i knew how to read music but this was like you know three or four years old um And then, you know, naturally, I think in Japan, what's different uh, for for young people or like in school curriculum is that, you know, general music is part of like a required curriculum all the way through. So everybody takes music classes. And I remember having actual like music textbooks, you know, and there were things that we played on recorders or play the things we played in uh played on what you know what we call melodicas right it's like this <laughs> little keyboard instrument that you it has a mouthpiece with a pipe and you, you you blow into it and you play um so you know that was sort of what i did but you know it was it wasn't anything like it was like part of part of what i did right like it was just like playing baseball and Mm-hmm. you know, writing it, you know, so it wasn't anything I was taking that seriously, you know, never thought I was going to make that be like part of my, you know, like my career or anything like that, you know, that was like very far from, 
from my mind, you know. So that's but the sort of you know how I grew up, and then I think classical music became such a, a kind of big thing in my mind. It just kind of happened when I was in fifth grade, and I was I used to listen to radio a lot, and then uh, something came on the radio, and I'm like I'm not gonna date myself, but um, I remember just being so struck by it that I grabbed the blank tape. Stuck it in the in the in, in my you know the radio cassette player combo right. that I had <laughs> and started recording it and then next day I took it to school and I was like trying to make all my all my classmates listen to it kind of <laughs> kind of strange when I think about it but it was like Mozart piano concerto number number twenty three just so so odd like yeah, I just remember <laughs> having this something about it like really like hit me and then so. I guess did a sort of a mini deep dive into Mozart because of that, and then discovered his clarinet quintet, and mm-hmm. that's where then I then I was like, well, I want to be able to play that. So then I, you know, then I started learning the clarinet, and so that's sort of when I started thinking more seriously about music. Mm-hmm. It was like a weird turning point. I can't explain why, you know. <laughs> why that why 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 hit me that way yeah mm-hmm. so when you're learning uh i know that ryan's probably uh pleased to hear that considering that that he's a clarinet player we were just talking about that um i'm kind of curious as like when it came to like learning learning music in school in japan was it how is that is it a very kind of like is it kind of like a westernized type of musical education or is it centered yeah. around traditional music or a mix of both or I would say it's well at least when I was you know when I was a kid I would say it was basically almost exclusively Western quote unquote right so um, yeah so it was all based on like the repertoire we studied uh, it did run a wide you know wide range you know it was everything from like you know some like Handel Vivaldi you know Beethoven of course uh, the Borjak. I'm trying to remember things that were in my like textbooks that we like we learned in classrooms, but then it would be like Simon Garfunkel, right? <laughs> Beatles, <laughs> and then you would have like a few like yeah, I mean only Japanese things were like maybe like the old old folk songs, you know, Japanese mm-hmm. folk songs, but right. nothing so much in way of like traditional instruments or you know traditional. Yeah, anything about like, um, you know, traditional rap or traditional mm-hmm. Japanese instruments or anything of that nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you have a do you have any like particular moment that you can recall from when like you started kind of interest in conducting? Yep. Yeah, um, that actually happened somewhat early maybe earlier than most people, I would say. So So then, so in Japan, so let's see, how they divide up the schools is a little bit different, like as far as by grade, you know? Mm-hmm. So their elementary school is through one through six. And then junior high is seventh, eighth, and ninth. Then high school is 10th, 11th, and 12th grades. That's sort of the equivalent of the U.S. system. So when I was in junior high, 
and when I was ninth in ninth grade, and in Japan also like ensembles are considered like like you know like band or orchestra or choir, they're considered extracurricular. They're considered like clubs, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like in the U.S. Right there, you you take them as classes and you meet during the school day. Uh, in our case, like in Japan, we all met either like after school, you know, after school and, and on weekends. So you actually ended up mm-hmm. like doing a lot more rehearsals. It's almost like similar to like athletics, actually, mm-hmm. like in the U.S. So, you know, I, I was, I guess you could call, you know, you could call, you could say that I was sort of a band nerd, you know, <laughs> by then um, on clarinet. And um, the person I really looked up to, so so my the junior high band director that I had, um, he was he had a like a very like impeccable training, you know, as a teacher, as a pianist, and also as a conductor. Like he went to one of the famous schools uh, in Japan, and he was pretty tough, you know, pretty. It was pretty tough, but I think I really like looked up to him. You know, I really admired him. And what happened was so right before, well, about a, two or three weeks before our final concert of the year, and for me as a ninth grade, so it's right before graduation, right? For us, mm-hmm. um, he developed sort of a common ailment for us conductors, which is like a lower back issue, and he actually had to go in. He actually had to go have a surgery. So he called like he called like four or five of us uh, ninth graders in. Because we were the upperclassmen, right? We were, we were mm-hmm. like the equivalent of seniors. Right. So he explained the situation and basically he said, Okay, you know, well the concert needs to go on. And you know <laughs> it was one of those like when you think about it, it's pretty reckless, you know, but he's like, Hey, you guys know how these you guys know you know how these pieces go i mean you've been you've been rehearsing for like you know six weeks or whatever you know like um uh i want you to divvy up these pieces amongst you you guys and one person will learn a piece to conduct and you know carry on with the concert so that's you know i was one of those kids Mm -hmm. so that's how that's how i I, you know, that's how I got to do it. Um, I have done, I think, you know, we have like a weird tradition in my school. I know that wasn't the first time I conducted because every once or twice a year, we had these like a parents day at my junior high. And we had this very strange tradition in my junior high of the entire class. So again, it's not just the chorus, but the entire class learning one of the courses from Handel's Messiah, singing it, and under the direction of one of the student conductors from that class. So somehow, like I had done it like three times. So I guess I was, I guess I must be interested in conducting somehow, or maybe I just didn't want to sing. I don't know what the, you know, what the what the story was, but so I have some experience like in junior high, but like the first time I really kind of, especially with instrumental things was that like spring of my ninth grade year, you know, before, before graduation. 
Um, and then at that point, I decided somehow that conducting was something I really like. It's something, again, something about it. And I think it's the whole notion of being able to communicate with people, but without using words. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I was the only child. I was very shy. And I think I found like, I found my place and I found myself in a way through ensembles mm -hmm. and conducting was just sort of a, 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 even a different level of that, you know, because I, I also always, always enjoyed like, um, not puzzles, but I mean, puzzles are hard because I'm colorblind. So it's actually a kind of a challenge, but you know, like, like see how things are put together, you know? Right. <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> well, they're hard because I'm colorblind. <laughs> even though I'm not colorblind, I'm taking that. My yeah. students are going to hear that. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, so that's, you know, so, yeah, so that was like a, that was an interest. That was like a, uh, that was like a pivotal moment in a way, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, initially I wanted to be then because of my respect for my junior high band director, I, you know, initially, you know, especially when I came, when I came to the States soon after that. So, you know, initially I wanted to be a high school band director. And so, you know, I did my undergrad was in music ed uh, with instrumental emphasis, um, you know, all, all of those things. But then. I'm just going to offend half of your viewers is probably is that I just, I, I'm not, one thing I just could not put my brain around was marching band and how that worked. <laughs> so I was like, well, so that was sort of, I mean, that wasn't the only reason why, why I switched to orchestra, but you know, like there was, there was a moment in which it was like, what, what if I do end up becoming a high school band director? Then, you know, what am I going to do with marching band? You know, like, I don't know anything, you know? So, and then as I was going through undergrad, I was really starting to think more seriously about conducting aspect of everything. So, you know, so then I ended up uh, doing my master's in, in, in conducting and, um, the thing is, I still did it in wing conducting. Actually, I never, I, I don't have a degree in orchestral conducting because I was, mm -hmm. I was still a band nerd. And then, but then as soon as I started my master's degree, I th started thinking, well, and then now I'm going to offend you, Jesse, but you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, but, because, because you know, in the, in the wind world, you know, in the wind world, a lot of the repertoire is more contemporary, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something, you know, and I've obviously like I've I've always enjoyed that, and you know I do tend to program you know a fair bit of you know new music, what what might be considered new music, you know, uh, where wh everywhere I go. But then as a clarinetist too, like you know I was always I always enjoy you know all those you know great clarinet excerpts that you know. Uh, where were those, you know, the pieces where those kind of excerpts, excerpts are taken from, like things like Brahms mm -hmm. symphonies, you know, 
Beethoven symphonies, the Tchaikovsky symphonies, all the way up to like things like Firebird, you know? And so that was sort of the the real motivation behind like switching to orchestral orchestral conducting was it was from the repertoire standpoint, really. You know, I just thought, you know, especially because I think my my favorite repertoire tended to be like late 19th century early into early 20th century and you know mm -hmm. uh, just to compare just comparing the available great repertoire for orchestra versus wind ensemble from that particular time mm -hmm. period there was just it, there was no there's no comparison really you know so yeah I think that's a really good trait to have for an orchestral conductor, you know, be, <laughs> like, you know, being able to like do the more contemporary literature, but also like still having still really enjoying and having an appreciation for, you know, the classic repertoire, because, you know, and I mean, I feel like that's something I've learned as like more as an instrumentalist is, you know, even if I'm playing something that may be more quote unquote overplayed, it's still great music and, you know, it really benefits to be able to, you know, kind of put myself in that zone and, and find a way to really enjoy the music. And if you kind of put yourself in that headspace, I think it's really easy to do because again, it's great music. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, Ryan, as to what, what questions you have, because, um, I'm, I'm just really interested to see, uh, what kind of questions you have is kind of like a non-orchestral person, I think it's very safe to say. Yes, that is very safe to say. Um, first off, I want to go back to something that you said about music education in Japan. So you mentioned that it's treated more like an extracurricular or athletics. So I think I want to approach this from a standpoint of, does that mean that you see greater effort on the student's part? Like, do they actually, everyone that's there wants to be there? It's not just the requirement of needing to be in music or just wanting to skate by with something that we often see in U.S. education? I would, yeah, definitely, yeah, I, I would say so, you know, because from, from number one, from the standpoint of the amount of work that's expected beyond your coursework, you know, so it's, like I said, it's all after school, like in the evenings, and then on weekends, you might have, you know, you might have, like, long hours of rehearsal, depending on, you know, if there's a, you know, if there's a competition coming up or, or, or a concert coming up or, you know, something like that. So it does get pretty intense. So yeah, you really have to be committed to it. And, you know, you, 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 you know, you want to be there because yeah, you're not getting, otherwise you're, you know, you're not getting any credit for it, you know, towards, towards your, you know, towards your diploma. Right. So, yeah. So that's, that's like, that's sort of a, a one major difference, you know, um, and also interesting, you know, because then at the time we still had like general music classes for everybody, like at least, you know, at least in junior high. So that means everybody, regardless of whether they could, I mean, so, you know, so everybody had to learn about, you know, different, different aspects of music theory and music history and have to play certain things on recorders and have to sing. <laughs> uh right so we had like all sorts of recorders you know as you get older you're you're interested with those uh you know bigger bigger members of the uh larger members of the recorder family you know so you could play 
do completely different parts. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I would I would say that's kind of the it's a different 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 mental you know different mentality in a way. Yeah. Right now, all I can picture is giving a ninth grader a soprano recorder and saying, "Play this, have fun, don't squeak." <laughs> right. <laughs> And once they become sophomores, then say, okay, alto recorder, bass recorder. Right. Not giving them yeah, yeah, exactly. The family, but <laughs> just saying, let's, right. keep, let's keep going with recorder. That's right, right, yeah. I think I'm going to take that to the next music educator conference I go to and say, let's just do this instead. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're learning a lot of kind of different ways to, to yeah. kind of go about this. <laughs> I mean, as yeah, I yeah, experienced yeah, yeah, yeah. in my yeah. techniques classes, who needs the brass? <laughs> it's too uncontrollable for me. Nice, nice. All right. So now I'm going to pick your brain as a clarinetist because um, I just love chamber music for clarinet. So you mentioned mm-hmm. the Mozart quintet, but right. are there others that you really just consider to be um, just like the peak musical experience for you as a clarinetist? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say you know, Brahms Trio is, you know, it's a, it's a piece of chamber music. I think that's, that's definitely up there. Um, you know, things like, and then you, but then you get like, you also get things like, you know, summer music, you know, yeah, like Samuel you know, Barber. Barber summer music or, yeah. Or, you know, or great, uh, you know, great, uh, you know, so yeah, great, like wink with that rap too. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it just speaks to how varied wind instruments can really get when they really got trapped into a bit of a, um, into a small box, particularly the clarinet and oboe and things like that. They read an instrument, really got shoved into a box, I think, for a long time that we're crawling our way out of. Right, yeah. Those classics just, there's something about them. I listen to the Brahms um, quintet probably about once a week. And it's- Oh, yeah. Just a beautiful experience every time. Yeah. 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 I'm really glad you said that about uh, the clarinet, Ryan, because, yeah, I think in my experience, you know, as a composer, I think it's definitely true that a lot of times wind instruments, and for some reason, especially the clarinet, tend to get shoeboxed a lot. And I don't really know why. That's something I've never understood. Because, like, I find that clarinet is one of the most varied instruments as far as, like, its timbral qualities and what it can achieve. It can be the most, you know, mellow, expressive instrument. And at the same time, it can be the most annoying, chirpy thing ever. And I, I'm going to say mean, like, Elbow takes the top on that one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I got to stand up for my instrument. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just I, I mean, you know, we were just doing Mahler one with the with SE Phil. And I mean, one of the things, you know, in the third movement, I was just astounded by just kind of the the qualities you're able those kind of sassy characteristics you're able to get out of the the clarinet. And like he was just nailing that just staccato like so consistently. And it it, it, it sounded mechanical almost. And just the fact that you can get like a clarinet to sound like that and also get it to achieve the polar opposite i think is just an awesome quality of it so i don't really just understand why it gets shoebox so much the way it does right i think for me it really dips into that into that dichotomy of it's both the cat in peter and the wolf but right. also this beautiful <laughs> solo instrument in pines of rome all right, right. yeah totally it is extremely varied i mean i don't 
you know, I'm not a brass player. So I'm going to offend some of our viewers today and say, <laughs> don't think we're all offending our viewers today. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's my it's, it's, <laughs> box a little less. So we'll just have to see. Yeah. We'll just have to, <laughs> we'll just have to see. Okay. So I'm kind of curious now that we're kind of talking about, uh, we're kind of on the subject. Um, I'm going to bounce uh, one of Colby's questions that he wanted to ask you today, Morihiko. Yeah. One of his questions was um, your favorite and least favorite pieces to conduct. What do those look like for you? Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, that's always a tough question, but I've never been asked least favorite piece to conduct. I I actually have to think about that <laughs> for a while. That's true. You, you know, don't really it, think about your least favorite. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Least favorite. Who programs it more than once? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but you know, I could, but I, well, I mean, it, it does, it, it is slightly in a way it's not exactly what the question is because it's not like least favorite but i could give you like what piece always gives me nightmare though <laughs> perhaps just the least I, enjoyable i think that's a good way to approach it yeah no it's 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 such a ridiculous thing but it's like i always feel like i lose sleep over it and it's something you know you do all the time you know, mm-hmm. as a conductor, and but every time you get to it, if 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 you see it on the program or if you see this movement on the program, even for like kids concert or something, you always like you always pause a little bit and you do like an extra, <laughs> you do extra mental preparation somehow. It's the it's it's the first movement of Beethoven's Fifth. Oh. <laughs> Believe it or not, musical PTSD. Yeah, it is. I because, I totally get that actually. Yeah, yeah, because you know that opening is like you never know, especially if it's an orchestra. You don't really know as well. Oh yeah, you have no idea. Like you have, you don't know what they're used to. You don't know how they're gonna react, and that's always the, that's always the case with any any orchestra, any piece. But with the opening of Beethoven's Fifth. The, the room for air is just so tiny. Right. And so, you know, and, <laughs> and you can easily, you can easily embarrass yourself. And so, you know, like it's one of those pieces, like I didn't think much about it when I was young and was starting out because, you know, we, we don't have any, we don't know any better. Like we don't, we don't know, we don't know that, you know, we don't know that some, some things are hard or like just what not it's not really easy in a way and but we just do it mm-hmm. right and but over right. the years I'm, i now over the years it's like you know yeah it's like uh maybe it's, it's like a seasonal allergies you know as you get older it gets worse you know and then like conducting conducting the beginning of beethoven's fifth you know is is that way for me like as i get older you know I don't I don't I don't think I suck at it but it's just like it just always like always makes me get kind of slightly uneasy for some reason you know yeah. Yeah. I think but, yeah I think and let's see yeah 
I think that's totally reasonable, though, because I mean, now that I think about it, you know, we've all seen like, you know, those classical music fail compilations on YouTube. It seems like right. every time there's always someone messing up the beginning of Beethoven's Fifth. There's oh, yeah. always like someone messing it up because, you know, and yeah, that's something I never thought about, but it's totally true. Cause I mean, I know that every time that I've played it, it's like, it shouldn't be hard, but for some reason it right. is, it's always right. just so hard to nail that right. offbeat. And, right. you know, it's like, it is silly because like I've played so much harder yet at the same time, right. every time I come back to that, it, <laughs> it gives me nightmares. Yeah. It does give me nightmares. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, you know, it's, 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 but let's see, what's, I mean, what's my favorite? You know, I always, so usually I, I say, right, favorite thing to conduct, right? Favorite composer, or favorite, favorite piece to conduct. I mean, it's basically, it's, in, it's impossible. It's impossible, yeah. to, you know, to pick one. So usually, and this is uh, both my, I've developed this, my answer for that over the years which is both true but also a cop-out right and which is <laughs> which is my favorite composer especially if it's like who's your you, you get asked a lot who's your favorite composer and i always say and it's true it's whoever i'm working on now you know or the pieces right. i'm working on now because exactly, you know, that's, yeah. that's the world you know you're you're completely like you know um you know putting yourself in uh but you know you know, Jesse, like, you know, just coming out of this Mahler week and, you know, Mahler's always been one of my favorite composers, you know, and I've always said like, that. yeah, yeah, I've always said like, you know, if you, if I had to pick, if I have to pick a composer as my favorite, it's going to be Mahler. But then I just, I have forgotten because I hadn't done the Mahler symphony in a few years, you know, it's not right. something you get to do like every season, usually, unless you, you know, this conduct one of the majors um mm. so coming back to it after a few years and coming back to the first symphony you know this week it just sort of reminded me how much i just simply love conducting Mahler right and his music mm -hmm. um you know yeah i mean i love conducting you know other great composers and all these things but when it comes down to it i just yeah i, I just like you know i was sort of reminded that how yeah. much fun it is yeah, yeah i totally i identify with that too because i find with Mahler, you know actually and i feel like a lot of conductors kind of have a particular kinship with Mahler, and i think a big reason for that might be because you know he was a conductor composer and i think the fact that he was a conductor showed in his music a lot not just you know kind of in his understanding in his understanding of the orchestra but also I mean, how he wrote his music down as well you know i find kind of the kind of the odd specificity that Mahler has in his music you know it's weird but at the same time it's it it's kind of helpful in a way you know it's kind of kind of like all these you know really specific things that you know he asks are just kind of like it kind of has like a personality in and of itself when you when when you uh when you see that but um and also yeah there's something as well i think going back to Mahler one because you know as you go on with the Mahler symphonies you know you're just dealing with more and more stuff you yeah. know as you get as you get more and more to the symphonies and there's just kind of like this elegant simplicity to the first you know it, it it's still but at the same time you know 
feel very like you know it's kind of like going back to roots when you play Mahler one again so I, I I do definitely uh feel that way about the Mahler symphonies as well um yeah great Ooh. I do oh. I do remember now least least favorite piece to conduct <laughs> or the least favorite piece that I've, I've conducted okay which is different you know that's different than like a least favorite piece of music again mm. i think there's some there's a difference there right so right i i remember doing like well i used to i used to not enjoy and it's odd in some ways you know if you because Mahler's always been my one of my favorites right mm -hmm. i've only recently come to appreciate being able to conduct the music of Richard Strauss. I've always not enjoyed it as much before. Yeah, we did not, Don Juan recently, yeah. Right, yeah. Like, I've I've stayed away from doing Strauss for, for, for many years. I don't know why. I mean, again, it's the... I mean, you know, you think they, they would be similar, right? Like Mahler and mm -hmm. Strauss. But, like, how somehow in my mind they weren't, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like a, to me, like, Mahler always knew... I mean, you, you know, he, in a way, his music is always autobiographical. And so right. you, you sense his insecurities mm -hmm. as a person and he knows what his flaws were, you know, mm -hmm. what his anxieties were. And I feel like in Strauss, I mean, he was just, a, I mean, so and I think I identify with that aspect of Mahler as mm -hmm. a human as a human being. And I think I found, I've always felt like I found like Strauss's music to be like a two. It's not, it's not even like being too macho or anything, but it's just, there's just like a, there's this level of just meticulousness and confidence. <laughs> there's this self-confidence that comes through, you know, in his music that I'm like, Good God, you know. <laughs> no, but absolutely. Only only, yeah. re only recently, like I've I've come to like, you know, appreciate it. Actually, in a way, you know. Yeah. But at least, yeah. Least favorite piece, though, because I actually do like listening to this piece. But when I conducted it, it just gave me nightmare. And that's uh, there's a piece by Michael Torgi. Oh God. Called... <laughs> there's a Torgi piece <laughs> called. One of his early pieces called Adjustable Wrench. It's okay. for like a it's for like a chamber orchestra. You know, right. it's for like a symphonetta kind of thing. So single winds and like you know, percussion, keyboard, and like single strings type of thing. Oh my gosh, because what you think it should sound like is not how it's notated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You think, oh, this thing, you know, this piece is so catchy, and you think it. Then you look at the score; it's like, oh, but it's it's notated exactly the opposite rhythmically of what you think it should be. Right. So you think what should be, you know, you 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 know, you feel it as the beat is the end of the beat at the right. end. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Maybe I'm crazy. No. And so the musicians are thinking the same thing. So yeah, <laughs> so like you know, how do you it was like so physically? So physically, it is it was the most challenging in a way. Like it was just the most like like a disorienting experience, you know. 
so yeah so yeah. that i guess that's that's the yeah. yeah yeah i i might be crazy in thinking this but i feel the same way about samuel barber's summer music mm. he really erases what what we perceive as the actual downbeat yeah, yeah. he uses those recurrent 16th note triplets and they feel like the beat every time right i yeah. i will listen to it and read the score and i will be patting my body and trying to keep up with with the right with the right <laughs> beat. without fail every time i will get off yep it's something about the style and i think yeah they just yeah. They have a way of erasing it in the way that they create texture right yeah it's disorienting and it can be enjoyable but i can definitely see how it's not especially as a conductor yeah yeah kind of going back to like the whole uh the kind of the strauss versus Mahler concept i definitely find that too there's kind of something strauss's music is very i do think it's very refined and it's very it's very much like a finished product is is strauss's music and it's just like this mountain rising up from everything else whereas Mahler's music yeah like you said you can't really see his insecurities and whatever stuff he's going through in his life i mean i once i remember seeing a video on youtube it was breaking down uh this composer's opinion on the 10 spiciest chords in orchestral literature and i can't remember which Mahler symphony it was it might have been Mahler 10 or something like that but it was um just one of these is this chord in one of his symphonies and it's one of his more like sparse painful symphonies and it's just the most aggressive chord you will ever hear in an orchestral setting. And, you know, and it makes sense because, you know, it was a time in his life where, you know, uh, Mahler had discovered, you know, that his wife was having an affair and his daughter died and he was having heart problems. Like he was really just having a tough time of things. And you could really hear that in his music. Whereas Strauss's is more just like, look at how great everything is. And (laughs) I think of Strauss and I always think of two things. You know, everyone, you know, whether they can name it or not, they always think of Zarathustra every time. Yep. But then I think of Der and Cavalier every time. You know, I just think of German nobility riding off in a carriage with a jaunty little tune in the background. You know, I, th- I think of Alpine Symphony, oddly enough. And I always think of just like, you know, just, just like cresting a mountaintop and just everything is glorious. And uh, wow, life is great. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah i do love the alpine symphony though that's like that's actually like and you know i've always i've always liked the alpine symphony even though like you know i don't know i just i mentally i was always like treating it like a like a soundtrack i guess in a way right you know yeah it definitely seems that way yeah i mean it kind of is (laughs) right okay so we've got um let's see we got another i'll bump another one of Colby's questions off of you. Okay. Uh, since we're talking about best and worst pieces, why don't we talk about the best and worst stories as a conductor that you've had, things that you've experienced. Uh, best and worst stories. Oh. oh, the worst one is easy. Speaking of Barber. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. No, this... Uh, so you know, and this this is an interesting thing. Like you know, people always ask me, right? I mean, uh, sort of the background of this story is that 
I think oftentimes people will ask like, okay, so what is the difference between like, you know, orchestral conducting versus wing conducting versus, you know, choral conducting. And you know, I have colleagues, colleagues who say, well, they're all the same, right? Conducting is conducting. Um, but I think, I mean, what, where it comes down to it, I think really the biggest difference is the reaction time and right. what, what we perceive to be the delay after yeah. you give the beat. Mm-hmm. And the delay almost never happens in, or if it happens, it's very minute in, in wind bands. Right. As opposed to, as opposed to orchestra. I think it's because of the breath versus bow type of thing. Right. That's, that's, that's part of it. But, you know, early on in my career, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that, or I just wasn't as comfortable with, with right. orchestras that were, that were a little bit, you know, they the the ones that kind of sit back on your beat uh, a little mm-hmm. bit. So I had this I mean, the most horrendous audition I ever done was in uh, it was actually in Milwaukee and years ago, and they were looking for their number two uh, spot uh, at the time, and so I was in the final. So like you know, uh, they flew us all in uh to to like conduct like 45 minutes each you know with with the milwaukee symphony and you know they're they're outstanding orchestra i just wasn't prepared for how far behind the beat they usually played and it's almost like and it was almost like the the audition repertoire was set up to throw you off if you aren't used to that Mm-hmm. So it was like because I remember one of the things was first movement of Brahms third. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Again, so you know, all of a sudden you think you think all these things are supposed to be. Now it, there was the opposite case where basically things were supposed to be right, not on the beat, ended up feeling like to me like they were playing it on the beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they were so they they play so far behind, and so the then the the trap then the trap is as soon as you adjust or as soon as you your body becomes aware of it and do something else, they change too. Yep. <laughs> you know, so, so like you think like, you're fixing it, but then they adjust to what they see. Yeah, it's it becomes like cat and mouse, you know. <laughs> so then what's gonna happen is it's just gonna keep on dragging and dragging and dragging. So like I just I you know I felt like I'm a complete idiot. And then to to make the matters worse, to make the matters worse, one of the other things was the last movement of, of the barber violin concerto. Oh no! With, with with then the council, the person who was the council master at the time playing the solo part, and they were they were used to doing this in a way so far behind the beat. It was it was it was okay when it when it was in two, right? You know, because like you know, I was doing that. I was doing it in in, in cut time, right? Mm-hmm. Until we got to those threes. So oh. I'm doing one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. And then 
all of a sudden I'm I'm already in the middle of the the three bar, three, four bar, one, two, three, and then got out of it and almost sounded as though they were still in that three, four bar. And mentally I'm thinking, but I already gave that bar. Right. So then like I it was like very much like and but the interesting thing though, I mean, here was an interesting thing. So then I see then I see the concert master like he's tapping his foot. Right. Right. But I noticed then also he's tapping his tapping his foot ahead of where he was playing it. Does that make sense? I've also that's weird. I've also had a I've also had a mentor. I've also had a mentor who who was who is very much like he doesn't admit it. But but orchestra always plays well behind his feet. And he would always say, "No, I don't. I don't conduct. I I don't conduct ahead of the orchestra." And everybody's like, "Well, you do." And he's like, "No, I don't." And then I noticed mm-hmm. one time he was. I saw him rehearse something years ago, and he was. I can't remember what it was, but it was something with. Eventually, there was going to be like a vocal soloist. So it was one like a one of those like a choral choral works with vocal soloists or something like that and he's like he's conducting the accompaniment without the soloist and he's demonstrating something and he is singing the solo line and he's just conducting a little bit and he's he's singing behind his own beat you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. it was like Oh wait, so you do you do you do feel this the relationship with your movement versus where you expect the sound is already well established in his body. And that is he expects the sound to be behind him, but noticeably so. You know. Yeah. So you know, so that's the one of the things like, you know, people encounter, like that's that's one of the hard things, I think, you know, in yeah. in in uh in conducting. Um, let's see. What was the the favorite moment? What was the least there was a, the worst the best story? Do I have a best story? <laughs> no, I think it was like I mean one thing I can think of, you know, was like um this happened like about a year ago. Um I got a random call from from somebody uh, like a administrator at an orchestra where I had done a few concerts with them, you know, um, Mm. already in the past. And, um, you know, we had a good relationship, but all of a sudden, like I got a call like on a Monday and she said, uh, where are you? I'm like, uh, I was actually in Colombia that day. So I was like, Oh, I'm in South Carolina, you know, like, what's up? <laughs> and she said, like, something to the effect, you know, the, the the conductor who was supposed to, who had been rehearsing and was supposed to conduct on Tuesday night, uh, you know, just tested, tested positive for, for COVID. Right. So mm-hmm. there isn't, isn't going to be another rehearsal. <laughs> Can you, but if we fly you up, can you make it, you know? And first of all, you know, she's like, 
well, you've done you've done Symphony Fantastic. I was like, yeah, a few times. It's you know, but it's been it have been a few years since I did it last. But it's one of those pieces I like to do. So, so I was like, yeah, you know, that's that's fine. So basically, so I yeah, I I went up and like, you know, I barely got there. Just like I got there like two because I had to fly home, like fly back to my apartment in Massachusetts first to grab my score grab my scores and like concert clothes and whatnot and then i had to drive up there (laughs) which is like like a three-hour drive so i was like you know i'm just gonna get there tuesday end up getting there like three hours before the concert (laughs) and i was like and there was a new there was a relatively new piece on that program with the composer present and I didn't even know that the composer was going to be there. And then they're like, well, she's very eager to like go over the piece with you. And I was like, okay, well, I just got into town. Let me take a nap. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need to take a nap. You know, it's, you know, so I took a quick nap and then they went over to the hall, all this stuff, you know, and, and that was like, it was one of those like experiences where it's like, in a way, you know, and they had sent me like, so they they had a cover conductor who was, you know, who was there. They had brought, you know, because especially during COVID, you know, so they had a cover conductor uh, already. So that person had done maybe the two rehearsals on Monday or something, you know. Uh, so then I was coming in basically just for the concert on Tuesday, just completely like flying blind a little bit Mm -hmm. um but they did give me a recording of the dress just to have a sense of like how what they might be used to or something you know Mm -hmm. but then you know here i am like coming in to do barely and then i'm I'm like well you know barely is like it's it's my party piece so i'm just gonna (laughs) i i feel like i'm always like kind of setting my ways of doing certain things in that piece. And so I was talking to somebody in the orchestra right before the concert. I was like, what do you think? Like, like, you know, should I do it the way you were doing it yesterday? Or do you need to just do it my way? And they were like, ah, do it your way. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were like, they were like, I mean, the this is like, basically they said, well, you know, this, this thing about professional orchestras, right? They're like, yeah, you know, yeah, we don't watch the conductors, right? <laughs> usually, usually, but but in this in this they were basically like this might be this might be the only time you actually have the attention of the orchestra, you know? right? <laughs> so so yeah, so you know, I and it was it was it was like it was such a it, you know that was such a great experience, but you know mm-hmm. again like. Was it a little reckless? Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like COVID definitely brought on some of the most interesting kind of like last minute calls yeah. that musicians have ever had. I, I mean, I yeah. had like, I remember a time where, you know, Michael Abels and Kronos were in town yep. and we were premiering Michael Abel's piece and, you know, f- for the Kronos Quartet as well as with the choir. And then I remember being called on to fill in for a bass part at the very last minute 
and they basically said okay uh here's your music and it's like a hundred pages and i was like okay i guess we're doing it and i mean i did it and i showed up and i and i sang it and then the other time you know we were doing a at usc you know a john luther adams piece which Mm -hmm. is like this whole outdoor production and it's you know it's it's got a bunch of choreography and stuff like that the day before for the concert, I'm getting a text message saying, hey, I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to go take a COVID test. But if it comes back positive, I'm going to need you to fill in if you can. And I'm like, for that piece? I'm like, <laughs> and he said, I mean, he said, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it's all aleatoric. So it's it's probably not going to be the hugest deal. Thankfully, he ended up testing negative so that didn't end up happening, but it was this close to happening. And it's just like one of those things where, wow. But yeah, but okay, we are quickly running out of time. Time has been uh, really uh, flying here. But um, Ryan, I want to see if you had any uh, final questions here. Yeah, so um, in the same vein of like favorites and not so favorites, uh, I'm going to pick more on the favorite side of things. So I'm going to pitch you a hypothetical just to kind of satisfy my curiosity and see what. Okay. You so um, if you'll bear with me, you have the best possible orchestra that you could assemble in front of you. What are the pieces that you program? Ooh. Mm. Size, like it could be any, like any size orchestra really yep. like. Whatever your ideal orchestra is, like peak skill level, size of your choice. Oh, well then, uh, well, you know, I'm I'm always tempted tempted to say Modern Night, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, yeah. But then, if it's like any anything, you know, then then it's like. You know, it, it might, it could be like Brahms fourth, you know, because right. like, yeah. right. Because then essentially you, 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 and then, but the, your job, like my job is completely useless. Like it could be like all these like people who, who truly like make music, like chamber music. So like, I'm not even needed, but you know, <laughs> like to see, like, to see what kind of like, so, sort of this, like, meeting of minds you know can create in, in a piece like brahms is you know is that would be fascinating too yeah, yeah. Mm. all right and in the same vein um i'm gonna ask you to pick just one and i know it's gonna be really difficult because it's really hard to pick within our field of study mm. um as a conductor your favorite concerto just for any instrument favorite concerto favorite concerto uh Dvorak cello Ooh, quick answer. Okay, that was yeah, quick. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a good one too. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I do remember seeing that live in Brevard, and yeah, it's it's a hell of a piece. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. I know what I'm all listening right. to this weekend. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about all kinds of pieces and great, uh, you know, playlist selections here. Yeah. All right. Well, we are just about out of time, but I'm going to uh, kind of uh, close it off with one final question. I believe I heard you uh, correctly once when you said you were an anime watcher. Am I right? Did I? Well, I'm not as actually that's funny because my wife is actually more 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 so than 
than I am because I wasn't when I was a kid, I wasn't really allowed to watch too many animes in Japan. <laughs>、okay. I know it sounds I know it sounds kind of odd, but yeah, but anyway, so you have an anime related question. I see if I can answer it.、Though. I was just gonna <laughs> ask if is there is there any anime, even if it's something your wife enjoys, is there any anime or manga that you can recommend to our listeners? Oh well, I I can tell you right now. I I am I am I am trying to get caught up in the what is the English title? It's the Demon Slayer. Kimetsu no Yaiba. Oh yeah, Kimetsu no Yaiba. Yeah, that's that's sort of <laughs> yeah. I like I like that time period when it's you know like like it's set in also,、uh, you know. Oh, I like the. I like that all the designs. It's like all the traditional designs that each of the character like you know wear also. So yeah, so it was like easy to get into that world, you know, for me. I think.、Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, we have. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so pleased by that. Okay. Good. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, we have officially run out of time.、Uh, so, Morihiko, again, thank you so much for being here. It was great to have you on.、Um, thank you. And so, yeah. So,、uh, be sure、uh, to and you know, Colby usually does this, so I'm kind of you know out of practice with doing this stuff. But you know, follow us on all the social、uh, at Muse Inc Pod M U S I N C P O D, so you can catch up with us、uh, on there. And、uh, yeah, just keep in touch with us, and we'll have. A bunch more episodes coming soon with a lot more、uh, great guests.、Um, so yeah, without further ado,、uh, my name is Jesse Kaiser, joined by Ryan Hernandez and Morihiko Nakahara. You've been listening to Musically Inclined. <laughs>